You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Lauren Noel. I am your host, and thanks for joining me for another awesome episode of Dr. Lowe's show. If you are new to this show, I would love to just introduce myself. I, like I said, I'm Dr. Noel. A lot of people call me Lowe, and I've been a naturopathic doctor for 10 years, and I've actually been doing this podcast for nine years. So yeah, I'm one of the veterans, And I have a medical practice called Shine Natural Medicine in Solana Beach, which is the San Diego area where I live. And I'm also a new mom of the coolest nine-month-old, Zion the Lion. He is a massively huge baby boy and so much fun. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen his huge little hair puff. Not really little. He has a lot of hair. Um, Over on my Instagram, you can follow me over at Dr. Lowe. That's D-O-C-T-O-R underscore L-O. So that's just a little bit about me and some fun and exciting announcements coming up. My clinic, Shine Natural Medicine, we're actually moving. Yay. We've been in the same location for about seven years and we're moving to a bigger space. So more rooms, more ability to grow and bring in some new providers. And don't worry, I'm still seeing patients. Um, I actually like, I enjoy seeing patients. So I don't plan on stopping that anytime soon, but we're also going to be bringing in some really cool new modalities. So I will keep you guys updated on that, but you can follow us in in our move behind the scenes over at Shine Natural Medicine on Instagram. Um, But it's, it's a really incredible space that we've created over at Shine. Um, We have patients that come over just to say hi, that stop by, patients who maybe have extra lemons or avocados from their trees and they'll come and bring us, you know, part of their harvest. It's it's really just a a really supportive and uplifting environment. So definitely come by and say hi if you are local or if you're visiting the San Diego area. And uh, so that's just a little bit about me and what we do. I work with patients locally in San Diego, but all over the country. So if anything in this interview or other shows that you've been resonating with and you want to look into some testing and see if these things are going on with you, we're happy to do that. We can do all the testing and I can make a lot of different recommendations for supplements or diet or lifestyle to help assist you in healing. So you can learn more about that over at shinenaturalmedicine.com. And also if you've been listening to the show and you are getting a lot of great help from the show and it's, you know, giving you information that's making a difference in your life. If you have any success stories about things you've learned or implemented, I would love to hear them. You can leave any, you know, suggestions or feedback over on um, the reviews. So if you don't mind, you can press pause and go leave a review um, either on iTunes or Stitcher. I would really appreciate that because the more reviews that we have that are good reviews, it really helps just spread the content of the show so more people reach um, Dr. Low Podcast, and that's what we want. So on that note, oh, last thing is, one of the things we talk about in this episode is eating the rainbow, how important it is to eat all the different colors of the rainbow in your diet. And no, we don't mean Skittles. We're talking like the real rainbow. And one of the hardest colors for people to get are greens. I know that's a common one for me. Sometimes I'll go through the whole day. I'm like, oh crap, I didn't eat greens today. You know, I barely eat vegetables. So 
new mom life, you know, it's real, but all of us can relate. So you guys know I'm a big fan of Organifi. They have the best green drink I've ever had. It tastes really good and it has a ton of different greens and superfoods. It's not sweetened with sugar or any harmful sweeteners at all. It's all really, really clean and it's very bioavailable. So the ingredients are, they're not processed. They're very minimally, you know, they're freeze dried. So you still get the nutrients of the powder. So I'm a big fan and they are a generous sponsor of the show. So I'm so grateful to be working with them and you can get any of their products and especially their greens over at Organifi.com. So it's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I and my listeners get 20% off. So if you enter Dr. Low 20, so D-R-L-O-2-0, you can get 20% off your order, which includes greens. They also have like an auto ship. So if you don't want to have to, you know, think about reordering, it's just really convenient and I like their little packet. So when I'm traveling, I always have a packet in my purse. So a lot of times if I'm like waiting at a doctor's office or at the DMV or whatever, I'll just find my little packet, put it in my water bottle and I'm drinking veggies. That's how I roll. Anyways, I hope you guys um, are doing really well and I'm excited to share this content with you. So with all that said, let's jump into breaking the mold. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am beyond excited for this particular podcast episode because this hits close to home. And I know lately I'm making everything about me, but I'm truly interviewing experts that are helping me with my own health journey right now. And I, I'm just, in, you know, including you guys into the conversation. It doesn't need to be hush hush because doctors, we need, we need support too, right? So let's talk about mold. We have such an incredible woman joining us on the show. I got to hear her speak a couple of weeks ago and it was so funny because my girlfriends were like, this is for you. This is for you. Cause I literally just found out that I've had mold exposure. And so it's like, yeah, I was taking fervent notes of like literally like maybe five pages of notes. So I'm excited to have Dr. Jill Krista on the show. She's also a naturopathic doctor. She's a bestselling author of break the mold and she's internationally recognized educator on mold related illness. She helps people recover their health after exposure to toxic mold. So like I said, she's the author of break the mold, five tools to conquer mold and take back your health. She also provides online training for medical practitioners to help them become mold literate to efficiently and effectively identify and treat their mold sick patients. So if you guys listening love your doctor, but maybe they don't know a lot about mold, send them this episode and these resources and they can learn a whole lot about things that a lot of doctors don't know about. You can check out the courses page on her website, drkrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is a real honor. I love your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I love the work you've been doing and I've, I've seen you on the interwebs a bit because I think you've done different webinars and I've wanted to catch, catch you on those, but it didn't really work out until recently until I got to hear you speak in person. And, you know, I've been flipping through your book since, and it's one of those books where I highlight the majority of the page. <laughs> <laughs> And, and even, yeah. you know, I've been bringing your book to, to the work and because uh, you have the, the mold questionnaire right in the beginning. And so I hand it over to my patient and say, hey, do any of these sound familiar? And they're like, oh, my gosh, really? They look at it. They're like, yeah. So yeah. clearly this is something that can be often missed because the symptoms are just so all over the place because of how mold operates. So I'm excited to get into kind of clinically how this looks. And, and for you guys listening, we did an episode recently 
um, on with the healthy home expert. And that was all about how to see if you maybe have something going on with your house, including mold. So we're not going to get a whole lot into identifying if you have mold in your house. You want to, we'll put that in the show notes. Definitely go and listen to that. This is more of, okay, you, you think you have the exposure or you know you do. Now what to do? What do you do about it? How do you get healthy after that? Because it can be daunting and confusing, especially if you're dealing with it. You don't have like healthy brain function to figure out what to do. So <laughs> you got to have someone that can make it really simple and um, help you kind of go through it. So before we jump into all of that stuff, I'd love to hear why is this something you're into? Did you have your own experience with mold? I kind of already know the answer, but share with our audience how that, how that was for you. Sure. So I started um, in treatment you know, as a primary care doctor, and I ended up in a place in the country. I'm in southern Wisconsin that was an, a hotbed for environmental medicine issues like lead and dioxin and all kinds of things in our air, atrazine in our water. So I really was... Um, going off of the base that we got in school of environmental medicine. Then I also realized I'm in Lyme country. So I really started this journey working with um, patients that I had heavy metal toxicity and Lyme disease or tick-borne illness. And um, by working with them, most of the time when you're instituting naturopathic principles, people get better. But I had this subgroup of people that just weren't getting better with all of the things we were doing. You know, they incrementally get better. And it was so frustrating for all of us. Um, and then finally, in one patient's home, they discovered black mold. Mm -hmm. And this had been a 12-year exposure for this patient. So wow. it was just one of those, you know, drip, drip, drip kind of things. Um, and as I got into the research and really understanding mold, because I kind of had a cursory understanding from the training that we get in school in environmental medicine that... Spores are a bad deal for the respiratory passages and mycotoxins can be hard on the nervous system. That's kind of my, right. you know, takeaway. And as I got into the research, there's a ton of animal research. Purposefully, there's not a lot of human research because then people right. have to start paying for things like landlords and companies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I dug into the animal research, I thought, oh my goodness, this is much bigger than I understood. And it now explains why this guy can't sleep, despite all the things we're doing, you know, a treatment for Lyme and mercury and all the other things that he had going on, couldn't sleep, had ear ringing, pelvic pain, interstitial cystitis, irritable bowel disease. Um, you know, it was just like ping, 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 all of right. these things that started to make sense. Um, so that's when I was, that's how I developed this protocol because I then turned to the other Lyme disease patients, the chronic Lyme that weren't getting better and started using some of these, um, some of this protocol and they improved and indeed wow. searching houses or even history. It may not even be a current exposure. It could be an exposure from 10 years ago. And one of my patients, that was her case. She had exposure in college, didn't bring anything with her to her home where she was. I always assumed it was just, she brought sick stuff, but, yeah. um, I realized that no, you can have an exposure that's so profound and hitting you right at that tough time of your life where maybe your nutrition isn't good. You might have the genetics that make you more susceptible. Maybe right. you're extra stressed or whatever. That you can bring with you to the next environment. You become the sick building. And Crazy. those kind of things were just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. So then when I had my own exposure, it was when my family and I moved into a relatively new house. Like if you looked at it, you would think it was very well cared for. It was very clean. It was, you know, good materials, all those things. But there was a plumbing error when they built the building. 
Um, they many plumbing errors, but all of the drain pipes were dry fit but never sealed. So there was just this rampant um, flood in many, many walls. And finally, when the flood revealed itself to us, I knew exactly what to do because I had the protocol already. I could get, you know, get on it for myself, get on it for my kids and our our dog. And, you know, it was just sort of like, oh, I need to write a book because everybody needs to know this stuff, you know, that it was so empowering, but also I felt sort of guilty almost that Mm -hmm. here I had all of this and I was sitting on this nest egg of knowledge. um, And I felt very compelled to share it with people because so many of the things you can start to do all by yourself. You don't need a doctor to oversee it, even though it's really great when you do have a molded or a doctor because they can tell you what to do, when, you know, why all of that. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and the, it took a while for you to figure out that that was going, that's what was happening in your house. Right. And you, you guys yes. had symptoms that was not very clear. That it was yeah, that. exactly. So um, there's the concept of how to cook a frog. It's the idea that if you have a, if you want to cook a living frog and you have a boiling pot of water and you drop him in the boiling pot of water, he'll jump out because he knows it's in danger. Yeah. But if you start with a cold pot and you put him in the cold water and slowly turn up the heat, the frog will stay there and you can boil it in that water. And that's exactly what environmental medicine is all about. It's those teeny tiny daily increases of exposure that your body initially can process and detoxify and you can, you know, poop and pee and sweat out the toxins. But over time, that overwhelms your ability to detoxify. And that toxin load gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And you don't, actually know what's going on. And even as a mold expert, um, it got me, you know, I was, I was having terrible problems with fatigue. I had to start taking a nap every day. You know, I couldn't wait to go back to bed. I couldn't work out as hard. And eventually had a very hard time working out at all. Um, had weight gain, you know, all of these things that, you know, you can explain away as, oh, it's just stress. Uh, you know, you can explain a lot of things away. Yeah, that exactly. are the mold symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so finally I got, you know, when the, when the flood revealed itself, I got out my questionnaire from practice and um, gave the questionnaire to myself. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Right. Mold. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it makes but you then, so much better of a mold doctor because you can really empathize with people. Right. Yeah. And and as you said, the symptoms are so variant depending on who the person is being affected. Exactly. The genetics. Um, yeah. yeah. So talk about that. Like how is it that two people living in the same house can have completely different symptoms? Absolutely. And it's not only that it can happen, it usually happens that way. Mm. It's more common than not to have only one person in the family start to react. Mm-hmm. And then the other people in the family, it takes a little more time. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with how these, so mold secretes toxins. It also secretes regular chemicals. So there are two different um, situations that happen with mold. If it's happily growing, it's making a ton of chemicals, VOCs, alcohols, aldehydes. That's just a normal metabolism, um, sort of like exhaust from a factory or mold farts or whatever you want to think of. <laughs> no, it's just going to do that as part of its metabolism. But if another mold wants to come into its territory or another microbe, which could be a bacteria, it will start to secrete toxins to defend itself. And if you think about, you know, um, the Louis Pasteur, and we know that now it wasn't Louis, but the the whole penicillin experiment where there was um, a 
piece of bread and in the middle was the mold. And then there's this little ring of sterile area around it. And that's what we use for penicillin. So penicillin is actually a mycotoxin. I'm actually so, watching Outlander right now. I don't know if you've oh. seen that show. And she's literally <laughs> making, trying to make penicillin out of bread. It's really good. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, that's what antibiotics are. Many antibiotics are mycotoxins. That's how effective they are at killing other things. Wow. So I often will hear from people that, you know, if only one person in the family is sick, or let's say typically it's going to be people with a higher body fat content because these toxins are fat soluble. So typically it's going to be the women and children that get hit hardest. And then you hear from the guy, well, those don't affect me. Right. Well, guess what? Militaries around the world are using these as biowarfare. It's just a matter of dose, duration, and sensitivity. Right. So do they affect you? Yes. And they're affecting men in ways that are different from the way they're affecting women. Right. Um, depending on whether they are exposed to an estrogenic mycotoxin or one that lowers testosterone or, you know, some of these kind of things. So, so wild. it's different. Um, you had asked about why is that different? You know, if you're genetically different, we're all genetically wired different. We are also all coming at this, these exposures with different levels of nutrition and different levels of previous exposure. Once you've been exposed, something gets turned on inside of your body that's a little protective mechanism that can make you react sooner than someone who has never been exposed. So there are lots of factors that go into why someone is reacting and why someone else may not be reacting or it might be their reaction isn't as loud yeah. and disruptive. Wow. And so are you talking about SNPs like an MTHFR or other mutations? Mm -hmm. Does that come into play? Definitely. So um, when we talk about genetics with mold, a lot of times people will talk about their HLA expression, which has to do with um, their inability to, to get over mold and have it be something in the past. So if you have a positive HLA for mold, um, it can be the person that's going to have more of a chronic problem from it. Mm -hmm. It can be. Although in practice, I have not seen that this is a really big factor to whether someone can get better or not. Mm -hmm. The things that I see a bigger factor are the things that have to do with detoxification. Mm -hmm. So again, those MTHFR, if you have COMT SNPs, if you yep. have um, CBS, you know, some of these other SNPs, because if you think about, you know, I'm on a, a mission to redefine mold illness. I think we need to think of it as spore illness plus mycotoxin illness. Mm. And 75% of the symptoms that I see in my patients are toxin-based and only 25% or maybe even less are spore and spore fragment based. Mm -hmm. So it's really a toxin illness much more than it is a, an allergy. And you talk about in your book that mycotoxins, did you say they're 50 times smaller than the spores? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. 50 times smaller. So they're not a living thing. They're a, they're a gas bomb from a living thing, depending its territory. So these are, these are so small that they can go right through building material. So yeah. you may have a situation where you're being exposed and it doesn't smell musty. That was the case in our house. You'd walk in and you'd think, you know, super clean house. But it's because those building materials were trapping the spores and the spore fragments and some of their regular mold fart chemicals. Those need to be exposed to air to yeah. smell them. Mycotoxins have no scent. So they can be working their way through that building material through just, you know, osmosis seeping out and poisoning the indoor air and you don't even know that it's happening. And that's terrifying. Yeah, for sure. It's wild. Yeah. It's like warfare in your house that you don't even yeah, have an exactly. idea that that's happening. 
Yeah. yeah. So my, my joke, it's kind of a, you know, sick joke, but it's when, if you're in a moldy house, you can breathe the air and get drunk. Right. Because you're basically, you're getting the toxins. Hey, free alcohol, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it does kind of help people understand some of the symptoms. Like if you think about how similar mycotoxins are to alcohols, I mean, think of what alcohol is. It's yeast fermentation. It's yeast farts, basically, right. that we're drinking. Um, so if you think about what you're, what happens to a person if they're buzzed, their vision is off, they get sleepy, um, coordination is off, organization Crazy. in the mind is off, um, decreased or dulled sensations. So that can be some of the things that we see with mold toxicity as well. Wow. I One thing that I did not know that really floored me in your book is you're talking about mycotoxin breath. Yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't want people to worry too much because when you treat this, it goes away. But okay. um, that idea, yeah, because I have some people say, well, I can't be around them anymore. And, uh, no, no, it's okay. But so if you have somebody who is, has been affected by a water damage building, the exposure to those toxins in the air, turn on a protective mechanism in your own flora that says, uh-oh, we're under attack. Somewhere, somehow, somebody wants my territory. And so your own flora turns on their mycotoxin activity. And this has been shown in a study that if you do nasal washings, lung washings of people that, um, you know, normal controls and people who've been made sick by a sick building syndrome sort of situation, um, everybody would have fungus in their sinuses. So it isn't the mere presence of the fungus. It's that the, the normal person's fungus are not making mycotoxins. The sick persons are. Mm -hmm. So you will find mycotoxins in their nasal washings. So that's where I kind of come from this theory of like, okay, what's going on there? Why is that? And I think what happens is when you're exposed to those, the toxins in that indoor air and that little protective mechanism of your own flora says we're under attack, we have to defend our territory. Now you have a normal microbiome, sinubiome acting like a pathogenic biofilm. Mm -hmm. And so now you, wherever you go, you're bringing that sickness with you. Dang. And every inhale, you're inhaling those mycotoxins, which are endogenously produced. And every time you exhale, you're sharing them. And I, I learned this um, by a couple of different patient situations that were intimate partner situations or parent-child situations. So when we treated the sick person, um, the other person who was not being treated got better wow. because they were not yet sick. They had not been exposed to that water damage building. The water damage building was carried with the sick person. Whoa. Yeah. How, how long do you think that can, that can happen? Um, well, uh, I think the longest one that I experienced with someone, it was a mother child situation and, um, she had been out of the house about 10 years and wow. was still carrying, but sick, you know, yeah. still just kind of chronic fatigue, achy painy, you know, all of that stuff, interstitial cystitis, Mm -hmm. frequent infections. Um, and so it's not like she was walking around healthy and shedding mycotoxins. She was definitely affected by those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't mention for you guys listening, if you want to take a really easy quiz to see if this might be something affecting you, I think it would help you to tune into the rest of the material in a way that's more relevant to you. So you can go over to moldquiz.com. That's Dr. Krista's mold quiz and take that real fast, maybe press pause, go take it. And then it'll help you to kind of 
tune in a little bit more specifically. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you also have courses because I because this show really applies for kind of general person and then also health providers too. So if you guys are listening and you're a health provider, you want to be more of a mold literate provider and however way you're trained, you can also um, take her mold literate course. And that's at drkrista.com slash courses. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the book is really, it covers things that are safe to take for anybody in the public, you know, no matter what experience you have with natural medicine. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I try to list on there if it is a a botanical medicine or herb or nutrient that may interact with certain medications. So, you know, it's, it's meant to be something that everybody can get a start on. Right. Um, but for practitioners, the practitioner course goes much more in depth and it goes into mechanisms. We go through each mycotoxin that you can test for at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that is ever expanding right now, <laughs> Right. but each of the mechanisms of those mycotoxins, cause each one is so diverse um, there's a lot of biodiversity of each mycotoxin and, and its affinity for the body. Yeah. So it definitely goes more into depth. If you had to just guess for the average naturopathic doctor who maybe isn't a specialist in mold, you know, cause I'm sure you get a higher percentage given what you do, but for the right. typical ND, like what percentage of their patients do you think mold is a factor? If you just had to guess. I would guess 15%. Just 15%. throwing that out there. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'm, I'm trying to think of the people. There's a lot of people doing regenerative medicine and they're working with ultra healthy people trying to right. optimize to the primary care person, to the person doing chronic disease. Yeah. And, okay. you know, it's really on the questionnaire, which by the way, if you, if anyone wants a printable PDF of that, like for you, if you want to use it in clinic, just give me an, shoot me an email at support at drkrista.com okay. and you can get a PDF because then it makes it an easier clinical tool. Um, on the questionnaire, I've had so many practitioners and most of the symptoms and diseases I have on there are verified by studies, Mm -hmm. animal studies, but studies, you know, they'll read that, that questionnaire and think, wow, I didn't know this is a mold thing. So there are some very serious conditions, you know, mold is carcinogenic. It causes immune deficiency. I mean, I consult on cases from idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is mold related to kidney cancer, to, um, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. It's highly wow. correlated to mold, aplastic anemia because it shuts down platelet function. So you have these patients that are just like low platelet, um, chronic fatigue, always dealing with some kind of chronic virus or stealth infection. Mm-hmm. And you just think maybe they're they're They have, and they may have unresolved childhood trauma or something like there's something wrong with them that <laughs> yeah. it may be mold. It may be that they, they were affected and you know, nobody wants to feel like that. Exactly. The questionnaire is very instructive as well to practitioners to say, wow, I never, I didn't never correlate that condition with, with mold. Yeah. Fascinating. We do a lot of autoimmune topics on this show and I'm sure there's a big Uh, connection there. Yes, absolutely. Hashimoto's. We've done a bunch of episodes on that. Have you seen a a strong link with Hashimoto's? Yep. So um, what we see, the link is that mold toxins are immune toxic. So they have um, direct immune toxicity effects and also genetic effects on the immune system, which mold is just amazing at at self-survival. So what we can see is actually a genetic rewiring to cause somebody to be immune deficient. And the primary um, sequela being immune deficient is frequent infections, Mm -hmm. but the secondary is autoimmune disease. 
So we'll see all manner of autoimmune. We can see like a celiac look where they actually didn't start with a gluten sensitivity, but because the mold impacted their immune system and it's also toxic to the lining of the digestion, that it'll create a mock celiac look um, and Hashimoto's as well. Wow. So, so mold can, can lead to auto or to a leaky gut. Yes. Yep. There have been the studies in animals have shown that it actually denudes the villi. So it Mm -hmm. causes bilious blunting Mm -hmm. and um, also affects the localized immune system. And then the toxins are, they get in the way of the myenteric plexus of the gut. So they get in the way of peristalsis and you'll see an increased risk of SIBO because of the motility issues. Wild. And I know SIBO is so common and getting to be so much more. So, and for you guys, if you don't know what villi is, if you kind of zoom in on your gut, it's sort of like, like fingers or like a brush. And so basically mold can kind of flatten that. And so that yeah. really impairs absorption. Cause if you think about it, if you kind of stretch out the lining of your gut, it makes it way bigger with all the finger like projections, but you cut those off and then the surface area is much, much less. So you can, it can lead to a ton of nutrient deficiencies too. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And part of my treatment, I mean, I get made fun of a little bit of how much bioflavonoids I put people on, but it's because the, the absorption surface area is so much smaller when you're dealing with someone with mold toxicity. And what are bioflavonoids for folks who don't know what that is? You bet. Bioflavonoids are the colorful pigment in vegetables and fruits. And I tend to focus mostly on vegetables because people who have mold toxicity tend to get fungal overburdened mm-hmm. and they can get candida overgrowth, which is a yeast in our gut that's normally symbiotic, but um, can seriously overgrow and become its own infection. Mm-hmm. So I focus on vegetables. And so bioflavonoids are the entire rainbow. And I encourage from my patients that they eat the entire rainbow every day. Try not to the have skills. something. Not the, <laughs> not the real rainbow. Right, right. <laughs> Don't taste the rainbow and yeah. literally eat the rainbow. Eat the yeah. rainbow. <laughs> 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 so yeah. good. And then yeah. if you have trouble getting a certain color band, so you know, you're really good at getting your greens in, you're really good at getting red in, um, you know, not so great at orange because you may not like squash. Well, then take that as a supplement. Right. Whatever That's supplement good. equals orange pigment, which mm-hmm. is for anyone listening, can be quercetin, astaxanthin. There's different ways that you can get that. So those bioflavonoids. Those colors, the colorful gifts from food, protect your cells and your genes from the effects of mold. Mm. I don't know why I randomly thought of of keto. A lot of people do keto. Do you ever feel like, is that good if someone has mold? Is it bad? I don't know why that popped in my head. Yeah, I think that um, it can definitely reduce some inflammation by getting rid of some of the foods that tend to be toxic with mold. There are certain foods that have more mycotoxins because of how we mass produce and store these foods. Mm -hmm. And that would be a lot that you get rid of with keto. So grains, peanuts, um, corn is one that's pretty high in mold just because of how we store it and grow it. And so sometimes with keto, people feel right away improved because you're getting rid of those inflammatory foods and those foods that already contain um, mycotoxins, or maybe they're getting rid of leavened bread. Maybe they were big bread eaters. And so you've reduced things that are actual fungus, like yeasts, mushrooms, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, but I do see that over time that can lead to deficiencies in B vitamins and some of these bioflavonoids that you need so badly. Right. So I think there's, there's a, a way to do, um, probably paleo, 
healthfully, but going into ketosis can be really hard on your organs of detoxification that are already burdened from the mold toxin. Mm -hmm. So helpful. Um, I'm trying to decide if I want to take it to the Instagram questions or if maybe we can real quick talk about, because I feel like we talked about the problems a lot, but I really want people to identify with this and see if there's something, if it's something that maybe they're dealing with. So let's talk about like, let's say back in the day, the patient who had the 12 years of exposure. I mean, what would you do with someone like that? Yeah, well, get them out first. Yeah. So I, part of my protocol and that I explained pretty well in the book or thoroughly in the book is that it's the approach to mold treatment is like peeling an orange. There are two layers, outer layers. Think of an orange, that outer orange layer, and then the white fluffy layer that you have to peel completely in order to get to the middle part. And so that for me, I've organized the five steps um, or methods of getting rid of mold as a visual of an orange so that you can understand that the first two steps are like the first two outer layers of an orange and need to be done as thoroughly as possible. Um, and so I'll go through the steps. The first one is avoidance. The second is fundamentals. Then we have protect, repair, and then fight the mold. So if you think about fundamentals and avoidance, avoidance being the most important, and what was drilled into me from Dr. Walter Crinian, the first three steps of any toxic exposure are avoidance, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> meaning that's how important it is. Like yeah. if you're not doing that thoroughly, and you think about peeling that orange, you're not going to get to the middle of the orange. You can't even get to the, the meat of treatment if you haven't gotten out of the mold. Certainly, if someone can't get out of the mold, there are things that we can do that have been shown to be protective in, in animal feed studies, um, but still they have to remediate or you know get away from that exposure. And sometimes even just taking a weekend break to a friend's house helps you get your brain ordered and um, trying to figure out what your next steps are because mold can affect you so cognitively. So we do avoidance being the first. I also look at foods in there. So we were just kind of alluding to some of those. Um, there are certain foods that are mold, certain foods that are yeast, and then certain foods that are toxic. And then there's a whole other class of foods that can lead to more fungal overgrowth. So I have on my website, you can get the 10 best and worst foods for moldies just to give you sort of a, a nice round number of what are some of the key foods that I could take out of my diet to help improve my health right away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, it's going to be leavened bread is going to be the biggest one because it's both, both the, the yeast and also the um, toxic grain. Right. Um, that now, if you're eating free breads as well tends to because it's just a grain problem overall. Right. And yeah. if you eat organic grain and you know where it's come from, like I have a lot of patients, we have a beautiful CSA here and they grow wheat and they mill it right away after harvesting. They put those that harvested grain in the freezer after they mill it and then you can buy it from them. In that situation, my patients have been fine with that. Mm. So I think it's like get, you know, don't get so religious, I guess, about mm -hmm. what foods are good or bad, really use your mind about why is that a bad thing? Um, so like with corn, again, if you're eating organic corn and it's small batch and you've gotten it locally, um, now you know it's not glyphosate laden and it's also not um, mycotoxin laden. Right. Um, I have yet to find a mycotoxin free peanut, however. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then um, the second step is fundamentals. That's going to be just kind of the, um, the basic treatment guidelines, we call it in naturopathic medicine. 
So that's going to be good, clean living, get on a circadian rhythm, you know, good diet, get sleep, move your body, healthy relationships, all those kind of things. So with that patient, you would ask, what, where do we start with that? You know, 12 year exposure. The most important thing for him was to get out of the house. And, um, that was already improved ear ringing a ton, improved pelvic pain, improved interstitial cystitis and improved irritable bowel. Um, so just avoidance can make a big step. Mm-hmm. And then for the fundamentals were already in place because he was a naturopathic patient. So, you know, he had a, a perfect diet and sleep was a real challenge. So while there was a dedication to sleep, you know, insomnia is a very common symptom for mold. Right. Uh, so then it was, you know, how do we support, how do we move into the middle of the orange and support those kind of things? And for him, it was melatonin, lots of bioflavonoids, getting his liver moving bile. Um, we hear a lot in mold treatment that people go on binders. And for me, I start with food as a binder and then insoluble fiber. And if that's not cutting it, then I pulse in other things when I know the person is either going to have an exposure or just before we start antifungal therapy, where I know there's going to be more spilling of toxins. Mm -hmm. Um, But binders can be a tool. They're not, for me, not necessarily have been something that's a vital necessity if the dietary stuff is in order. Which foods or insoluble fibers are you a fan of? Any insoluble fiber, I really like to use, start with flax because most of my patients who have had, I guess everybody has their selection bias of who comes to see them, but most of my patients have um, constipation as part of their picture. Um, It might be alternating constipation and diarrhea, but constipation is definitely there. So I'm cautious about using fibers that are going to slow things down. Binders um, work by a, a magnet action, not a Velcro action. So if you only have two magnets stuck together by magnetic charge, if you have constipation, that can pull those magnets apart very easily through shearing and sliding. Mm. It's not bound forever. And if you do that, you're now exposing the inner lining of the gut to that mycotoxin all over again. Mm -hmm. So I'm really careful to make sure that my first focus is what I call pre-binders, which is all of the things that move bile. And in naturopathic medicine, we use a term called cholagogs. So I like things that are going to get the bile moving and make sure the person is going to the bathroom two times a day. And then we might try something that will get them um, bound up if, if, you know, binding the mold toxin, if I feel that that has to happen. Yeah. But typically, if they're eating five to seven servings of vegetables a day, which is part of my protocol, um, they're getting enough food fiber through flax seeds and things like that, that they don't really need to add extra fiber. So mm-hmm. flax is one of them. Rice bran fiber is useful, although for some people with candida overgrowth, that can cause problems. And then psyllium husk. I mean, good old Metamucil, although I use clean psyllium husk, not, <laughs> yeah. not Metamucil, but you know, <laughs> for some patients that they're, they're comfortable with that, you know, they understand that, oh, Metamucil worked for my parents. I get that. I'll go to the health food store and get some psyllium husk. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of the, the ones I go to every now and then we'll go to, uh, I'll add, um, charcoal, activated charcoal. And that's going to be for somebody who's really hitting the wall. Once we started, um, uh, antifungals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super helpful. So then once you get into more of the treatment, treatment part of it, how, how does, how do you navigate that? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so I like to look at what are the weak systems in the body 
um, and also what particular molds or mycotoxins they've been exposed to. So if I know that it's um, like in the case of this 12-year exposure person, um, the issue for him was POTS or postural ortho orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, he had definitely some instability uh, in the cardiovascular system, and it had to do with just overall most mycotoxins um, get in the way of, of protein synthesis. So he wasn't able to gain skeletal muscle, and that includes the smooth muscle that coats the veins. Mm. So he was having um, instability, cardiovascular instability, because of the exposure to the mycotoxin that he was exposed to. Um, and maybe I could talk about that mycotoxins. Like all of them do certain things. Each are a little different, but all mycotoxins impede protein synthesis. So if you think about what proteins do in the body, they, are, they create muscle of, you know, the skeletal muscles, the ones we're always trying to beef up with, but there's also muscle coating all of our veins and arteries. Um, protein synthesis also involves keratin and elastin, which is hair and skin and nails. Mm. So a lot of times we'll see people um, have breakage of their hair or they don't grow, their nails break off or, or peel. Mm -hmm. um, protein synthesis is also our heme and our hormone carrying proteins. So we see a lot of hormone disruption. Or a lot of anemia. See, yep, anemia. Yeah. And protein synthesis involves the enzymes in our body. So you can see kind of a mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And also mycotoxins cause mitochondrial dysfunction. This is another way they get at that is they'll, they'll slow down the enzymatic activity in the body because you're not able to make enough enzymes. And also DNA and RNA. So you've got this whole, you know, from the skin down to the genes that um, our body can't make the protein that it needs to, to function. And that's, you know, the mold wanting to compost you. It would prefer to have you just... I forgot to you know. say this in the beginning. So mold's <laughs> number one goal is what? What's their goal? Yeah, mold's number one goal is a recycler and a composter on the planet. And yeah. so that's what it's That includes you. You with you, yeah. <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> so it was interesting what yeah. you said on stage. You said that lime wants to like survive in your body, right? It wants to just mm -hmm. live there, but mold wants to eat you. Is that what yeah. you said? <laughs> yeah, I'm more afraid of mold. And as far as the, my priorities of treatment, you know, which one yeah. gets the most, um, the first attention, it's going to be mold because mold, lime needs you alive to survive, but mold doesn't. You know, right. it would just prefer to, <laughs> to compost you. Way. It just wants a meal and it wants to keep, yeah. it, keep it moving. You know, yeah. And if you're sedentary, why, why do you look any different than a stone that's sat there forever? You know, right. <laughs> so keep moving everybody. That's part wow. of the treatment. Yeah. So um, the other thing that all mycotoxins do is deplete glutathione. Mm. And um, they're all toxic to nerves, brain, gut, um, bladder. I'm going to think of all of them now. Skin. Um, and then our organs of detoxification, so the liver and the kidney. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are kind of the themes of all of them. So what I do in, in practice is I try to look at where is that person weak and what are the specific nutrients that I know that assist detoxification in that area mm -hmm. and what are the specific um, you know, botanicals, bioflavonoids, because each bioflavonoid sort of has its thing, it really does well. Uh, so I try to match those two um, the type of moldy that that person is. And I've sort of through time kind of created my little, um, 
categories, you know, that this yeah. is a, this is a neurological moldy. Cause that was probably what your weak link was mm-hmm. already. Um, maybe based on, you know, an injury or your genetics or whatever. And then when you were exposed to the mold, it made, it highlighted that weakness. So it makes yeah. whatever your Achilles heel is more exaggerated. Makes so much sense. And it's more, it's so different than, oh, I tested you positive for mold. Take this thing. It's, it's really, it's multifactorial. <laughs> Everyone's very different. So yeah. at our office, we do the mycotoxin panel from Vibrant. That you, mm-hmm. You're a fan of that, right? Mm-hmm. Very yeah. much. Yeah. And then based on which one shows up, that can guide how you'll do the treatment for that person, but also Absolutely. taking into account their own genetic weaknesses and their own specific situation. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So like if you, if you talk to people that are the inspectors and remediators, I'm kind of, I'm trying to help them rewire their thinking here because they'll say, oh, that's ochratoxin. That's not the bad one. Well, right. that's not true. Aspergillus and penicillium, just because we commonly find them in indoor spaces does not mean that's normal. Mm-hmm. And my first case of kidney cancer that survived 13 years past her and is still kicking actually, um, 13 years past her day she was supposed to expire because of her cancer. When we found out it was mold, um, it was ochratoxin. That was her exposure. So, you know, she was able to completely transform her living space, her diet, and then felt better enough to move. And, you know, now she's, you know, she's a, a, one of the miracle cases and they don't really want to hear about it, that it was mold, which is frustrating to me. Um, uh. You know, she and I know. <laughs> so yeah, there are, it is quite helpful to know what kind of toxin, because then we know where it may be coming from yeah. and we know how to treat that specifically. And in her case, you know, she came with a kidney cancer diagnosis, but you know, if we see high ochratoxin in somebody, I start them on things that protect the kidney right away, like mm-hmm. CoQ10, turmeric, Cynara, which is artichoke, um, you know, just to try <laughs> Cyanara, to, Cyanara. Yeah, Cyanara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, targeting your weak area, um, with all the things that help protect it. Mm-hmm. In your book in part two, under the fight, section. You talk about your, and we don't have time to get into all of it right now. That's why people need to get your book and they can read through it. But you talk about your whole body antifungals, the nasal antifungals, and then how you finish the job. So you can maybe touch on a few of your, your favorites or most recent. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the theory that I've kind of created about, you know, the fact that once you've been exposed to water damage building, your own flora become part of the problem. Um, that I might be wrong on the theory, but I'm telling you, I base this treatment off that theory and people get better. Mm-hmm. I've found that if you don't address the nasal mucosa and the body systemically, or what I call whole body antifungals, don't use one without the other because the person will have, the fungus will come back. Things will regrow. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing whole body antifungals, we're addressing the gut lining, we're addressing the skin, we're addressing all kinds of places that you can get to with blood delivery by taking it internally. But the nasal mucosa is your first interface with these toxins. And you can have, I've had patients have total resurgence of all their, their symptoms by going to staying in a hotel that was moldy. So Mm -hmm. there's something about, and that's where I learned, Oh, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm getting rid of that endogenous 
trigger whatever yeah. is turned on in them. So I added the antifungals to the to the nasal area, so nasal antifungals with the systemic, and that's when we saw a real change. Like people that had major anxiousness calmed down, people that couldn't sleep could sleep. Um, once adding uh, nasal antifungals, I actually, one of my patients, his hair started to grow back in dark. He was gray. He had gone gray through this process. Wow. So, you know, it was just sort of like, oh yeah, I have been, I've been missing an area that needed localized treatment. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of um, making sure that you're doing both of those. You need to treat those until you have no signs of mycotoxins in any, anywhere in your body tissues. So I usually use a urinary mycotoxin test I have a pre, um, there are limitations of that test, what, one being that you could be eating mycotoxins and be spilling them in your urine, and then it's not actually your environment mm. or your body burden. So I have a little pre-test um, thing that you do for three days of avoiding certain foods and um, trying to minimize the weakness of that test. Mm -hmm. But if you're taking a mycotoxin test and you followed all those pre um uh, my brain is just blanking on whatever that is. It the might be mold. Days. It might be yeah. mold, Krista. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, no. Yeah, so the prep. There we go. There's the word. So if you're doing all the prep right and you've taken the mycotoxin test and there's still mycotoxins, you still need to be on antifungals. Mm -hmm. The fungus is the fire. The mycotoxins are the smoke. So mm. if you are just mopping up mycotoxins and not putting out the fire, you're going to be mopping up mycotoxins forever. So that's kind of where I, you know, when people say, well, how long do I need to be on these antifungals? Because they're botanical most of the time. I can just use botanicals. Sometimes we throw in drugs every now and then. Um, you can be on these for long-term quite safely. And mm -hmm. you need to because fungi are the most tenacious of all of our bodies, uh, all of our little critters that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, and then finishing the job is that if it has become a pathogenic biofilm, you've gotten to that stage. I think of mold toxicity kind of on a continuum. You know, there's the initial sort of toxicity piece, and then there's the endogenous mycotoxins, and then you can become so immune deficient that the mold from that space actually moves into your body, and you can actually get stachybotrys in your sinuses. Mm. Um, that's the toxic black mold. So yeah. depending on where you are or where you got before you started treatment, it's quite likely you have a biofilm, a pathogenic biofilm to address. And what that's percentage of people, what percentage of people do you think are dealing with the biofilm issue? Mm, again, I have a pretty tough selection bias because I see people now with like right, they all come to super you chronic disease. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it started with the Lyme and um, so I would say with my Lyme and mold patients, they all have pathogenic biofilm. Mm. Um, in the case, well, I can, I can reel that back on the cases where the intimate partner was um, making the other partner sick um, mm -hmm. or the, the parent-child situations, those people did not develop pathogenic biofilm because the exposure was, was cursory. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, but for my patient base, it's quite a bit. And that's mm -hmm. why I put it in the book because so many people do need that added thing. And the best way to tell if you have it or not is to um, poke the bear with a little biofilm buster like mm -hmm. a little xylitol nasal spray, or there are some great biofilm busting uh, products on the market. Like Dr. Paul Anderson has one. So mm -hmm. try to take one of those. And if you have an aggravation of your symptoms, you do have some biofilm to address. Mm -hmm. Super yeah. helpful. I need to have him on the show. I can't believe I never had Paul Anderson on the show. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. I don't even know if I have time for Instagram questions. 
Maybe I can do like one or two real fast. Is sure. That okay? sure. I'll try to be um, short answered. That's not my forte. <laughs> I know, mine neither. One person said, do you truly need to throw everything away if, if you find this isn't something going on in your house? That is such a good question. I can say very briefly that, you know, over the decade or so, I worked with patients really heartily on, on their own spaces as well with the assistance of a, a certified mold inspector and a building biologist. We had a couple patients where really budget wasn't much of an issue. And so we had a chance to try to remediate a whole bunch of stuff and do pre and post testing and at the patient's request. And um, I would say we had completely mixed results. Mm -hmm. So um, in, there's a course I love called Mold Masterclass, mm -hmm. and it's done by Brian Carr. He's a certified mold inspector. And you can get a discount if you go through my website uh, there. I can't remember what the discount is, but it's all on, on my website. So if you go to faves, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> I would have loved this course when I was first treating mold people because it's all about the building. It's mm -hmm. all about inspection. It's all about remediation and how to do it if you're a sensitive person. Cool. And he, the thing I love about it is he goes through the question about stuff and he has an algorithm that you can just like lay your stuff out on a matrix and determine what can be remediated, what's worth it to you to remediate, you know, all of this stuff he's, he has handles it all. And so I really, if anyone is dealing with this and you have questions about that, yeah, uh, that course that's the most is common. That's the most common question. Like, how do you know it's on your house? Yeah. How do you remove yeah. it? How do you avoid it outdoors? How do you like, can you use Clorox? Like, you right. know, stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Of course. Right. And I'm a really big fan of essential oils because they've been shown to not only kill mold, but to neutralize mycotoxins. Whereas mm -hmm. other things like bleach and amphotericin B have been shown to increase the, for the formation of mycotoxins when that mold is exposed. So I love that idea of, you know, knocking back its poisonous ability and also the critter itself. And that's because when the mold feels stressed, it makes more mycotoxins, right? So it kind yep. of increases the battle when you use those things. Exactly. Wow, that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. And then what's the urine panel that you like to run? I run the urine mycotoxin test from Vibrant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they Is have that what the, you meant? We, we do the, oh, maybe that was the urine. Never mind. Because I, yeah. I know for myself, I did, full disclosure, guys, I found out I have all this going on with me, <sighs> including Stacky. <laughs> Woohoo, Stacky. So yeah, I get to look at this. But yeah, that, that must have been the urine test because I did a bunch of blood work too. But yeah. Yeah. And then the organic acids test from Great Plains is really great because it gives you an idea of what level are they to the level of colonization. Mm -hmm. That's that idea of now you are your own endogenous sick building. Right. Um, so I use a oat test to determine that and also to look at someone's glutathione status because mm -hmm. all mycotoxins deplete glutathione. So um, if somebody is not keeping that glutathione status up, they are not going to be able to get better without some assistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sense. Um, I think, oh, and then just the last thing is, can you speak on trying to conceive when battling mold illness or after a mold protocol? Anything about that? I don't know if we have time to get into it a whole lot, but. That's a tough one. So yeah. um, people don't like to hear the answer that I have, but it's out of experience of working with people that really wanted to conceive and had a timeline, you know, the clock mm -hmm. ticks. And yeah. um, I would say that we, we now know from studies, and I teach this in my course, that there is a correlation between mold exposure and the incidence of males getting autism. Mm -hmm. So um, clean up your body, clean up your womb before, and your room, your room and your womb um, before trying to conceive. And it's very treatable. It's very possible to do this. 
But um, if you try to rush it and have overly optimistic thinking, kind of um, you can you can end up harming your child. We know that these mycotoxins bioactivate in, in utero. Mm. So whatever you are exposed to, your baby is getting exposed to in a bioactive way. Um, I, I don't know what percentage that is, but we do know that they, they activate when they get through the placenta. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just a dangerous situation, I think. And so, um, I would recommend that people do work on getting cleaned up and not, um, and respect how dangerous molds and mycotoxins are. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the other question that they asked was any tips for detoxifying children from mold or babies? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that we can do. My favorite thing for babies is to put them in a mud bath. I mean, babies, their skin is so (laughs) absorbable. And I talk about this in my book, you know, peloid therapy has been used for ages in Europe Mm -hmm. and it's such a gentle thing and kids love it. You know, like you're putting them in mud. Um, It's, it's basically a dirty water bath. And again, on my website, you can see an example of what that is. Uh, That is the most gentle thing to do and so effective. It has these peloids, which is um, a term for peat moss and peat mud. Uh, you can add this to your bath water and they draw out toxins and they contribute probiotics and nutrients to the body. So it's the so cool. give and take, which is really cool. Amazing. Yeah. And most of the things that I put in my book are safe for, for children. Once they're eating food, they can, they can do most of the things in the book. And they have youth on their side too. They have that vitality. So they, they probably heal pretty quick, I would think. Well, they have youth on their side, but they have right. fat on their not going against true. them. That's so true. they can take in a lot more of the toxin. So that's another thing, you know, just like making sure that your your kids are not exposed to that poison air and, mm-hmm. you know, keeping – I've had big, burly NFL player go in with bare feet into a moldy environment where his carpet was wet and he ended up in the ER. Wow. So, you know, just be careful about – the exposure with kids. And, um, and again, all of the things in the book, I can't think of one thing that you can't do with a child if they're already eating regular food. If they're nursing, of course, you could administer most of this stuff through mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And then again, put them in a a dirty water bath and get them detoxed. Yeah. Love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Dr. Krista. (laughs) I hope that wasn't like too exhausting. We really picked your brain a lot, but um, this is obviously a topic that most people have no idea about and it's yeah. so important for people yeah. to do this. So I really appreciate you doing all this work and putting all of your, you know, pain into your purpose and making this yeah. based on your own experience. So thank you for all the work you do. Yeah. And good luck to you on your journey with all of this. Well, I'm going to be consulting with you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here. It's definitely going to happen. Well, guys, definitely go check, check out break the mold, drkrista.com with no H to C-R-I-S-T-A. And um, if we have a lot of follow-up questions, we'll have to do a part two. Sure. Yeah. Yep. I'm game. Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.